Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to a brand new format of Drew and Sam Talk Training. We've taken a look at how long these things have gotten because apparently I talk too much. We've decided to change things up because, uh, you know, much to Drew's happiness, we don't live by any rules here. So to better accommodate your busy schedules, we're going to break these things up into four segments. Uh, beginning with this episode 27, we'll be splitting them up into segment one, which will be an interview with leaders and influencers from both inside the brand and hopefully some surprises from outside the brand. We'll continue to introduce you to books in segment two. We think that will help continue your development as a leader. In segment three, we'll, uh, what do you think, Drew? Should we talk training? You know, I think since it's called talk training, we should probably talk training. Awesome. And then the fourth segment each and every month is uh, we'll share what we've taken from the stores, which, as you know, by now is my favorite segment. Each week, instead of every other week, we're going to drop a new segment on you. So you've got fresh content each and every week. And we'll do our very best to keep those segments right around 30 minutes. If Drew had his way, they'd be exactly 30 minutes. But uh, as we already see in this very non-short intro, I do have the gift of gab. I like 29 minutes. Because I never like to go over the time I tell people the training will take, but I'll take I'll take near 30. It's fine because sometimes our interviews are really good. Yeah, I like that. So uh, we'll say these are going to absolutely be under an hour. We're targeting 30. We'll probably end up somewhere in the 45 minute range. But hopefully that works out better for you. And let us know if you like the new format or if you like the old format or if you've got an idea for format all your own. So without further Ado. Let's jump into episode 27, segment one. In this segment of episode 27, we talk with franchisee Corey McKenna. And if you listen closely, you'll hear all about that secret sauce. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest in this fabulous episode is Corey McKenna, franchisee. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm good, gentlemen. Glad to be here. All right, Corey. I get the joy of asking the first question most for most of our guests. So here goes. Can you tell us your story? Tell the listeners who you are and how you got here. All right. I am a franchisee in Dallas, Texas, I'm about 10 minutes north of Dallas proper. I have 13 stores today. I started with Domino's uh, just over 15 years ago, and it was just a weird deal. Um, I quit my previous job, which was at a movie theater on a whim, and uh, had a girlfriend at the time, and your, your money goes really, really fast when you have no job, and you're 16, and you think you're rich, you have $800 in your bank account. And um, so I just had to go place to place to place applying, and desperate and uh domino's was the place that said um hey we'll hire you tonight and that's what i was looking for those were the the magic words for me um the manager uh, who hired me is actually still a manager for me today but um he said come back tonight with khaki shorts and you're hired i was like jackpot this is 
this is the winner. Um, so I was a CSR for a uh, better part of two years, started running shifts in college um, and kind of did the, had enough of this, I'm going to drive, it's easier. And then just, just missed the action, missed the competitiveness, missed the pace um, and went back into management shortly after that. And I did uh, about two and a half years as an assistant manager at various stores and became a GM of our lowest volume store. Um, that was at the time for G4 under Robert Gavitt. And um, after eight months of managing that store, um, I told him, hey, man, if I'm getting the best results in your worst store, wouldn't you like to see what would happen in your busiest store? And so he transferred me to uh, the busiest store in the company. And I ran that for about three and a half years. And um, after that, supervised for a grand total of five years in some various capacity, whether it was five stores, seven stores, director of operations was kind of blended into that for a little bit. And then um, in 2019, uh, Robert was ready to retire. And I bought the stores um, at the time, it was 10 stores. So I bought the 10 stores that I'd previously run as either supervisor or DEO from him. And he retired and uh, just seemed a lot better route than applying for jobs and interviewing at other places in Domino's. And I didn't want to roll the dice of who I'd end up working for if he sold to somebody else. And um, one of the, the most important factors to me was that I got to keep our, our team together, our group of managers, and uh, just being with some of them for a manager that hired me. I mean, he, we've worked together for 15 years and it was really, really important to keep the company together. And that was um, one of the conversations Robert and I kept coming back to is you want to buy one store, three store, five stores, the whole deal. And uh, the, the one factor that was most important to me is however we structure it, we keep the company together. That sounds amazing. <clears throat> so you mentioned Robert. And for those have, that haven't been around since Robert retired, I think you guys were called G4 at the time. And if memory serves me and Drew, you were in the company when this was going on too. It seems like Domino's was parading Robert all around the company talk or all around the country talking about the great things that, that you and Mason were doing within his organization. And that kind of leads me to where you talked about when you went to a driver, you were missing the action and the competitiveness and the pace. You guys are kind of known for, uh, for really moving your ass inside the store. Tell us about that and how that culture is created and what you do. Well, the, the tricky thing about describing that is because so many people ask me, how do I start it? And you got to keep in mind, that was, uh, that was 12 years ago for us and maybe a little bit longer. We had a really good group of managers. That's a little bit of a blur. Um, I think we had a little bit of luck. Just we had the right group of people that I don't think you could create recreate with a different set of managers because we were all really, really close outside of work, um, which kind of fueled the at work comp, uh, competitiveness and just ferocity we had with each other. And then also we had Robert who really enabled us and empowered us to just do whatever we wanted to take it to the next level service-wise. And he would give us all the tools that we needed to do that. So the actual rollout, I think was almost organic and I feel weird saying that because that's one of the, the buzzwords that people make sure it's, it, it's ruled out organically. And it just happened. I mean, we were always focused on service, but we just kept taking it to the next level because one week you got beat by somebody and then the next week you wanted to send him a message. So if his store ran, I'm just making up numbers, 12 minutes out the door, the next week you made sure that you ran 
11.9 out the door just to, to stick it to him from the previous week when he beat you. And um, things just kept rolling. And now, I mean, we're at a point that it's just self-sustaining. I, I think people have the perception, get your drivers to run and service takes care of itself. And that helps, but really like you take care of what needs to happen in the store. Um, it all starts with load time and everything after that takes care of itself because really the tone is set by what you're doing on the make bar. You know, you said it's self-sustaining and um, I love you, man, uh, but there's nothing that's self-sustaining. You've got to be doing something as a leader. It's continuing to make that, that culture prosper and make sure that your team knows that it's important because it's my view. If the leader's not doing something to sustain the culture, that nothing is going to be self-sustaining. So I love that you said that, but I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree and then let you um, disagree with yourself and tell us what you're doing to keep that culture. I think one of the, the biggest mistakes that companies fall trap to is they don't challenge why they did something the way it's currently done. And, and it could be anything. I mean, for years and years and years, um, we put noodles, it's just something small like that, into a, a tub that didn't make sense. It was one of the one six tubs. And just having somebody out there to say, you know what, maybe we should put this into a bigger make line bin because that's one less refill during rush. And you take that ideology to everything you do of how do I eliminate two seconds or three seconds? It really, really adds up. And there's, there's some people out there that maybe their starting point isn't where mine is for service. Because if I wanted to shave off three minutes from my delivery time, I would have to really, really, really bust my butt to make it happen. But there's some companies out there that maybe you've just, you've taken over after a different manager, or maybe your, your staffing level just got a huge boost because you hired three or four drivers and you could shave off three minutes like that. Like just overnight, you could shave off three minutes. We're less selective. The, the old expression, beggars can't be choosers. We have to challenge every little detail. How can we do this better? How can we do it faster? And I think taking that thought process to everything is what sustains that culture. Um, we, we take that and apply it to how we prep, um, how we lay out our make line, the technology in stores, just everything, everything. I mean, our, our touch screens are notoriously sensitive. And I always think to myself, why can I use an iPhone when it's soaking wet, but this tiny little like millimeter sized piece of garlic gets on my ELO touch screen? And it's done working for 10 minutes. And so just things like that, trying to find a better touch screen so your oven tender isn't wiping the screen after every fifth pizza. You just keep challenging what you've always done and you're going to grow from it. So Corey, I, I actually want to follow up on that because I, I, I think we're starting to get to where the culture comes from. So you said, how do I eliminate two to three seconds? So here's, here's where I want to clarify that. Who in your organization, who on your team is saying, hey, I think this doesn't work. And if we do it this way, it's better. Everybody should be. And that's the, uh, the owner and supervisor's job is to facilitate that kind of culture where it's okay to say, hey, this doesn't work or it's not working the way that it should. Um, there might be times where you disagree and there's trivial things being challenged and you got to take the good with the bad, be able to dismiss the things that aren't really as important. But inevitably, um, you throw a lot of stuff at the wall, something's going to stick. And I think that's really where it comes from is we, we want everybody, um, where it's, whether it's drivers, uh, managers, CSRs to tell us, Hey, there's a, a better way to do this. 
Um, I see your, your QR code up on the screen. I'm a big lover of QR codes. And we have a, a QR code on our door that just says be heard. And people can report anonymously. It can be issues. It can be suggestions. It can be whatever they want. But just having an environment and culture where it's safe to say, hey, company, uh, my company's called C4 Pizza. So they say, hey, C4 Pizza, uh, the way you're doing this sucks. And uh, you have to be able to take that message without getting your feelings hurt and react to it and take the appropriate action to make it better. We do a lot of books on here. And one of the books we just recently did was called Let Them Lead. And in that book, John Bacon says, on bad teams, nobody leads. On good teams, the coaches or the supervisors lead. But on great teams, everybody leads. It sounds to me like when Robert had the stores, he empowered you guys to lead. And he empowered you guys to come up with new ideas. And it sounds like you've taken that to the next level with these QR codes on the door that says, be heard. And you want to hear from everybody. If you were talking to a franchisee that was maybe a bit of a micromanager or didn't really necessarily believe that he didn't have to be the smartest person in the room, what would you say to him? I mean, without being, you know, hey, listen to me, I'm a young kid. I, I know everything. But based on your experiences and things that have obviously worked, what do you think you might say? Well, I read a lot, too. I haven't read that book. However, just throwing a plug out there, I strongly suggest you guys do um, David Goggins' book. And it, it is fantastic. But if I had to tell somebody, um, you don't always have to be the smartest person in the room. A lot of great people don't like to be micromanaged. The best don't because they want freedom. And if you decide to micromanage them, it stifles their creativity and their full potential. Um, and I, I can tell you, had Robert managed me that way when I was his director of operations or supervisor or GM, I probably would have moved on to something else because I really liked having the freedom. And that was probably one of the things that kept me happiest at work. And there's times if your operation gets uh, less structured, you might have to micromanage because if your drivers have a habit of texting when a, when a customer walks in or the car side alert goes off and they stand there and look at each other and hope somebody else gets it, you do have to micromanage at times until you build the habits to let people take care of their job and meet the expectations that you set for them. So do you think there's a difference between micromanaging leadership styles and micromanaging tasks? Because I'm a firm believer in making sure that a very, uh, very defined shift sheet, a very defined, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, where we put all the people and aces in their places. I'm looking for a position chart. I think a very defined position chart is important. And I would call that micromanagement to, to a small extent, but that's of tasks. I'm not going to tell the manager how to run his store. If I am the manager, I'm going to tell my people what they're doing tonight. Does that make sense or am I out on a limb here? That makes sense. And to, to take that thought process to a higher level, I think your, your original question was, is it okay to micromanage leadership? And my perspective on that is that if I'm micromanaging somebody's style, holding their hand all the way through the process to the result, then I'm not spending my time on the right things, um, facilitating growth, development, and bigger opportunities for other people. So really, the answer is just you shouldn't have time for it. If somebody's getting the same result as me, but their style is different, 
I might disagree with it in the back of my mind, but I, it's just not worth the brain damage of fighting it. I, I just, I don't have time for it. And we're getting the same outcome. Customers are happy. Employees are happy. We just have two different processes for getting there. Whatever. I can live with that. Along those lines, we've been digging in on this culture and, and you've mentioned Robert a ton. So, so if you look through what you learned from him, what's the number one thing where if you decided today you were going to drive out to his house, knock on his door and say, thank you, what would you say? What's the number one thing you would thank him for? Probably just being a good mentor. I mean, there's a very delicate balance between being a, a good boss and good leader and being overbearing in somebody's personal life. And there are a lot of people, especially in our industry, because we're, we're dealing with um, a group of people that has a tendency to make uh, decisions uh, outside of work, whether that's going out to party on a Friday night or staying up late playing video games all night um, that will impact them on their next shift. And Robert always did a really good balance of guiding me in my personal life without me feeling like, what the hell, get off my back. You know, I'm not I'm clocked in right now. So I think that would probably be the top thing is, is facilitating an environment where I make good choices outside of work so I can perform at my best at work. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and like you said, it's, it's a tightrope. I mean, you know, as Drew and I get a couple more trips around the sun and he'll be the first one to tell you, I have many more trips, but it's just hard to watch young leaders do the things that I did knowing exactly how it's going to affect them at work or why when they come in and you, the first thing out of your mouth is, Hey man, how you doing? They're like, Oh, I'm so tired. And you're like, yeah, I know why (laughs) it has, it has very little to do with how many pizzas you made yesterday. That's absolutely a challenge. So we've talked about Robert and we talked about you buying the North stores and you talked about your highly competitive nature. Is there anybody in the Southern part of the state that you're competitive with? Uh, maybe Mason Burnham. I don't know if we're if competitive. Maybe we are. Maybe you just word it as there's healthy banter back and forth just to provoke each other sometimes. In the spirit of, of that provocation, because we may be talking to Mason later in the week. Um, if I were to look at, say, power or some sort of score sheet, who would be number one and who would be number two? I'll put it this way. Mason and I are really good friends. Um, I'm thankful that we compete. We compete in two different uh, store size groups. And um, just because I'm in the 10 or more group and he's under that, um, I don't think it's fair to rank us against each other. But if you were going to measure somebody's delivery time, uh, you would probably find C4 Pizza ahead of them. That's awesome. Well, you know, I spent some time in Austin with uh, with the seniors, so I was always keeping an eye on Mason. And unfortunately, I would have been wearing the number two down there. He was he was definitely serving his customers a little bit quicker than we were. And man, it's it's hard to not wear the number two when you're competing against him. I mean, that's just fact of the matter. Well, you know, you guys, um, like you said, you started with a great group and highly competitive, and and you've done a great job of keeping that going. So congrats. The service aspect of it, it's a little scary to think this way because it will get you paranoid. It'll get you real paranoid. But um, I think 15 is the magic number. I mean, we've been kind of on this, I guess, 10-year mission to keep getting faster, but it seems like every time we get a little bit faster, we get a little bit busier and then we take two steps backwards and then we'll split a store, a couple of stores, and then we get a little bit faster again and we get busier again. 
And um, we've done some incredible things sales-wise over the last 10 years in essentially the exact same geographical footprint that we had 10 years ago. But it, it's just really tough to, to move the number from 17 or 17.5 down to 15. But I'm worried, deeply worried that if we don't find a way to be faster than 15 minutes, somebody else will. And it may not be pizza, but we're competing against anybody who delivers. And we have to crack that number. And we've got a long ways to go as a brand. But that's the number that I'd say, okay, we're almost bulletproof. Nobody can beat us if we're sub 15. Yeah, we talked to a guy er earlier on in the podcast, a small guy. He's the CEO of Domino's Pizza Enterprises. And uh, and I think Don was on that 15 number as well. I mean, anytime you're talking about the same numbers as a guy like Don May, I think you're on to something, Corey. He's definitely a trailblazer. I mean, his, his vision is just so far beyond where most, most people think today and, and even beyond where most people could imagine getting to. And, and he's doing it. So it's very, very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, he's the real deal. That's for sure. Uh, as are you, my friend, pretty impressive stuff going on down there in Dallas. We're just trying to keep it up. I mean, when we, when we started uh, running service, we were five stores and, and it's easier. Things are easier when you're smaller. And, and I think that's one of the maybe forgotten things of everybody's journeys. They always aspire to be a supervisor or franchisee or whatever, but man, GM's the most fun out of all the positions. GM is where I had the most fun just because you have a much closer relationship with everybody you work with and you have a much more direct impact. Your actions translate to a specific result and it's easier to manage just yourself and just your one location. I think that's important. It, it, growth is an absolute. We've got to grow um, as individuals, as companies, as a brand, but have fun while you're GM, just have fun while you can, because it's, you're dealing with bigger problems, harder problems, um, more challenging decisions as you get to each level. And I, I think that was a, something that I rushed. I didn't enjoy being a GM. I just wanted to win it. Ever. I just wanted to beat all the other managers in our company and just be the fastest. And uh, it's a ton of fun. I look back and man, that was the, the best out of all the positions I've been in. I had the most fun as a GM. But also don't don't be a GM forever. That's the next thing, right? Like take it, learn, and keep growing. So along those lines, then let's say, let's say you had an opening and and you you choose Sam. Yes, you've chosen Sam to be your next GM. What's that first meeting? What's that first expectation? What's that first like this is your store speech that you give that new GM? That's very circumstantial. If it's a, a brand new store. Uh, it's pretty much all like, you're going to do 30 a week. It's going to be so busy. You're going to love it. And sometimes managers are taking over stores that are in uh, a less than optimal position staffing wise. Um, they've got work to do managing food variants. They need to bring service down. And so sometimes that talk is, Hey, look, but this is going to be really, really hard for two, two months, three months, who knows? But the point is like, when you get in there, and you manage the way that you manage as an assistant, your people are going to love you. So you're going to quit having drivers turn over. Things are going to get easier as you start to get results because you're going to feel rewarded for it. And then you're going to double down on the behavior that got you that result in the first place. And after two to three months, you should be on damn near autopilot where the things that you've laid the foundation with take care of you. And you can just focus on details where it's not a 
a nonstop firefight every direction you turn around. With where so many stores are, not just in, in my company, but staffing is tough right now. It's important to have that conversation with people as factually as you can, because one of my lifetime pet peeves is um, pyramid schemes. And I envy them to a degree because they get away with getting people to work really, really hard. But then it, does, it doesn't come to fruition. I don't, I don't understand how they can get people to work that hard with very little um, evidence of materialization of all their hard work. Like it, There's not a huge payday that 10 people turn around and show them. And so the, the way they lead in terms of getting people to buy in and believe and have a passion for what they do is inspiring. But for us, the last thing I want to do is mislead somebody that I'm either promoting into management or into a, a general manager role. And then they, they come to me six months later and say, hey, this isn't what you told me I was signing up for. I quit because then we're back to square one, both of us. I wasted their time. They wasted mine. And so I think honesty is so very important in that conversation with managers when you first promote them or when you promote them to a bigger role than they're currently in. Yeah, to kind of take that to the next level, you know, Drew and I both help clients with interviewing and I'm huge on making sure that that we do a realistic job preview. And what I tell my clients is that I don't want you to scare the candidates away by any means, but I absolutely want you to let them know what they're signing up for so that the first time you ask them to do dishes when there's no runs, they don't look at you and say, "Hey man, I was hired as a delivery driver." I think what a lot of us get lost in because we've been in the business for for a day or two or a decade or four is that the people we're trying to hire could go out and get a job where all they do is deliver pizza or all they do is deliver food. So that realistic job preview, I think is more important now than it's ever been. And you doing a realistic job preview for the managers is super important. When I'm talking to people that say they want to be a manager, I always tell them that there's there's three things they absolutely have to know. Number one, it's not easy. Number two, it's not fair. And number three, it's not for everyone. If you've decided that it's for you, you've got to wrap your head around those first two and understand there's going to be days where your day shift guy calls off and you've got to go in and open the store, even though you had something to do. You've got to understand the one time out of five weeks that you were two minutes late, your whole crew says, oh, you're always late. And you know that's not fair. But I think it's really important that we set people up for success with an absolute, clear, realistic job preview and what they're getting into, you know, completely opposite of your pet peeve, the pyramid scheme. It's like, oh, if you do this, you can get 30,000 people buying cereal and you'll be rich. You know, that's just not going to happen with Domino's Pizza. It's hard work. It's hard work with any brand. And I think you're doing a great job with that. So kudos to you, my friend. I, I love that. Uh, that that's what you're all about. Thank you. Sam, one of the most important things you said there was the fact that people could be out on their own just delivering. I mean, people are have always been our secret sauce. And the fact that we we have an environment where they can do very, very close to the same thing as just deliver, um, but they get the camaraderie. People are the best and worst part of this job. And um, we have to give people the environment they want to come to work. Because otherwise, they're going to do exactly what you said. They're going to go deliver for Uber, Grubhub, DoorDash, anybody where they can just deliver. But there's a ton of people that just need the structure. I mean, there's some employees who are absolute phenomenal employees and people when you give them the structure they need to be successful. But then you turn them loose on their own 
and they're completely free to make their own decisions. They can't hold themselves accountable. And we have a duty to make sure we facilitate that and, and foster an environment where people want to come in. So what's the future for C4 Pizza? I don't have a ton of ambition to get outside of my current area. So I have, I have so much opportunity within my existing delivery areas that I need to take care of that first. Keep splitting stores. I've got a few on the horizon that I think makes sense and uh, I hope will make money. So keep splitting stores, uh, grow the company. I mean, I think I have a pretty simple path. I'm at 13 stores now. Uh, I think there's a simple path to 16. Man, that's going to take two to three years-ish. So by the time I'm there, I'm sure there's going to be new ambitions and things that are intriguing me. But um, when I first franchised, one of my original goals was try to have a manager per year go franchise. Not necessarily a manager, anybody. It could be a supervisor, DO, whatever. But um, we're behind on that right now. And, and I look at it as a startup. It's, it's harder when I'm in the first few years of franchising to send people out to uh, go on their own. But that's really important to me. And I think will continue to be important. So over the next, I don't know, two to five years, if I ever feel like I'm, hey, I, this is the most I want to do as C4, I'll just increase that rate because it, it's important to have healthy churn at the manager level because otherwise there's just not a lot of motivation um, from the assistant manager level or shift runner level. People don't see the opportunity. Um, but if we're doing a good job sending people to start their own companies, promoted to bigger roles in other companies, if we don't have something available, they're going to see that pathway. And that's one of the most important things for the future of C4 is that we just always have a path to more opportunity for the people that work for us. I'll be focused on that. Um, as soon as I feel like I'm, I can't build any more stores within the delivery area I have, then that's number one priority. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, Drew and I deal with a lot of franchisees around the country. And the ones that I admire the most are the ones that are constantly looking for upward mobility for their people, whether it's within their organization or outside. And I've got some clients that are very aggressive at making sure that that their team knows that Domino's Pizza is bigger than their three store, 10 store, 20 store, 50 store operation. And that, you know, we're a global brand and opportunities are everywhere. So uh, again, man, kudos to you. That's awesome. I love that answer. And I think that's important for, for everybody to have flexibility in what their, their goals are. Cause I, I don't want to, I'm not setting a number. There's not a like, Oh man, I'm going to get to 25 or I'm going to get to 50 stores because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm not going to strive to hit a number for the sake of hitting it. My path. So when I was a GM, I thought, okay, I'll save up $50,000 and I'll go franchise. And then when I was a supervisor, I was thinking, okay, well, come this far, I might as well just get three stores. And then um, this is still while I was working with Robert. Him and I had arranged a deal for me to basically stay with him until he retired. And it made sense for both of us. I was happy. Didn't, didn't have any complaints. I loved working for him and was making good money. So why move on? And at that time, I was like, okay, when he retires, I'll go buy two stores. And throughout the whole process, I wasn't so dead set on it that I gave myself an end date to go jump ship and do my own thing. And I'm really happy I didn't because this worked out really, really well, more than I could have ever dreamt of. But um, that flexibility in, in what your goals are and what your future looks like, it has to be a little bit moldable as time goes on. And, and so I'm just, I'm not setting a number for that reason. That's awesome. As I look over your uh, left shoulder, I think it is, I don't know. Uh, I see some hardware up there. Tell us about that. <laughs> I've got a few things up there. 
So the uh, trophy there is uh, 2012 Manager of the Year. And then um, not up there. It's on the, the wall over on this side is uh, 2015 Supervisor of the Year. And then last year, um, my first year eligible, actually not last, 2020, my first year eligible is a gold granny. Nice. So uh, yeah, a little bit of hardware. Like rookie franchisee of the year status. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could see the pride on your face right now as you say those things. That's, uh, that's awesome. I always love it when people are very proud of their accomplishments. Corey, we've got one last question for you. I want you to think all the way back to your first day of kindergarten up until yesterday and think about who is your best teacher or mentor and why. Well, give me a second to, to mull that over. I mean, I have some bad ones that come to mind that, that are kind of funny. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you a bad one while I'm thinking on the good ones. So I played all baseball right. as, a, as a kid, like Little League. And okay. um, my coach always said, he's like, get your elbow up. You'll be able to throw it farther. And I thought he was talking about like the top of my throat. Like I had to be up like this. I'm like, what is this dude talking about? That's not how you throw a baseball. Um, but he was met like the bottom of my elbow was too low when I would start to throw. So, you know, it's, it's really important to be specific when you're coaching somebody on something because otherwise you wind up with something like that. Kids scratching his head like, man, I, I have to grow. I have to be two inches taller to get my elbow any higher. I love that story. I'll tell you, you're the first person to go to yeah. the worst. And, you know, honestly, it, it just it resonates well because being specific when you're coaching is so important. I mean, you think about teaching somebody how to make a pizza for the first time. Any of the specifics that you leave out, the learner has to fill in the gaps. And then they're throwing baseballs like this, you know, they're like, whoa, dude, what the heck? So I love that. So I do have my best coach, though. I'm, I'm ready. And you guys, you guys might hate me for this. Yeah, yeah, we're totally going to do that. It's this crazy <laughs> website called YouTube.com. Okay. And I think it is so important for people to be lifetime learners, whatever position you're in, manager, franchisee, retired. It, it keeps the mind engaged, um, keeps you growing. But so many things that are useful in stores and useful in business, you can learn on YouTube. and the fact that you're out there trying to grow yourself and develop yourself says a lot about your goals and potential. Um, and then also, man, if you're say a single store guy in the middle of nowhere, there might be things like a telecom issue that you could fix for 99 cents with a little bit of hardware from Home Depot. But because you're in the middle of nowhere, you have to wait four weeks for somebody from a major city, two or three hours away to come out there and fix it. I think there's so many things in stores that are taken for granted you could learn and teach yourself and, and be your own coach. I mean, I, I love that answer. I guess what I'm struggling with, and maybe you are too, Drew, is why the hell did you think we'd hate that answer? Yeah, exactly. That's the real question. Oh, because I've already deposited the check from Bowser Consulting and Better Than Yesterday that was a bribe to say you guys. <laughs> well, listen, I don't know about well, the Better Than well, Yesterday well, check, but I can, I can guarantee you that Bowser <laughs> Consulting check was written with a crayon and it's no good. Yeah, and, and we don't do checks here. We're a full digital operation <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so much for the time. We enjoyed the conversation. All the best of luck. Yeah, Corey, it's been great.
Thank you, guys. Hey, Sam, what do the best leaders have in common? Uh, They invest in themselves and their teams. That's right. And I think you, listener, can invest in yourself and your team just like the best. It's really this easy. You register for the Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event Series. Just $49 grants you access to one event. But wait, there's more. $150, you get all four sessions, one per quarter. Wow, Sam, that's like getting one event for free. It absolutely is. And the first one, Drew, is going to be in March. We're going to focus on training and coaching. Then event two, let's focus on financial training and understanding. Man, I like it. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. Go register today. Damn, it was great talking to Corey for that few minutes. It's amazing for me being around the brand when we did the G4 video and then running the OER team for years that everybody always thought the secret to his success was his driver's run and to hear how it's just that empowerment of the frontline team member. It was amazing to get that out of him in that interview. It's really good to hear that straight from those guys. And I think when we talk to Mason Burnham later on, we'll hear the same thing that uh, running is great. If you can get your guys to run, that's fantastic, but that is not the secret to success. And when you take the success of G4, B4, and Corey C4, and I think you combine it with the new load and go that Shane Casey is doing out there on the West Coast along with the farmers. I think if you put that front end speed with that back end efficiency, we're gonna we're gonna start hitting those targets that Corey was talking about of those just crazy delivery times. Absolutely. So it's Sam with the new format. I think this is the whole episode. What do you say you uh, crash this boat? Wait, no, that's wrong. I'm going to go with <laughs> land this plane just this one okay, time. Okay. All so, right. So go ahead. Take the, take, take the controls, my friend. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy this new format change. Hey, tune in next week for segment two and another book that was recommended to us. We'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends. Like them, follow us, and subscribe. This has been episode 27 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Bowser Consulting. As always, go out and sell more pizza. And have more fun. That's all, folks.